This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hit! Browns are going to win! Mayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Cover 2. This is Dan Kadar, and I'm joined, as always, by Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich. On today's show, we are going to be talking to you about the Browns schedule release a little bit. came out on Thursday night. We're recording this on Friday morning, so it's fresh in our minds on the 17-game slate the Browns face in 2022. Some interesting takeaways, so I want to get Nate's thoughts on that. And the Browns have rookie minicamp starting today. Actually, when Nate finishes recording this, he's going up to Berea to cover uh, three days of, of Browns rookie minicamp. So we're going to talk about what the Browns did in the draft a little bit and, you know, a couple other things around the rookies. So with that said, don't forget, we are brought to you by USA Today Sports Plus. Our friends over at USA Today have the new sports app that you can check out on the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. It's kind of a fresh look at sports, a fresh take. They have some fun stuff there. Um, it's, it's good stuff. Josina Anderson works for them, and they, they've been doing good work for the last several months. So check them out, USA Today Sports Plus. But, Nate, schedule came out 8 p.m. Thursday night. It's a prime time must-watch event if you're an NFL fan, I guess. Um Browns come out of the, the schedule at least with just two primetime games on the schedule, starting with the Pittsburgh Steelers in week three on Amazon Prime Video, which is kind of the interesting new thing for the NFL this year. Um, then they have a game against the, the defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals in primetime. Kind of stuck out to me that there's only two primetime games thus far. That was my big takeaway from the schedule. What is yours? I think that's definitely a big takeaway because to me it says, you know, the NFL isn't sure if the Browns are going to be relevant down the stretch. So they have the ability to add more primetime games through flexing of the Sunday night games. Also, in week 15, uh, there's a TBD on the schedule against the Baltimore Ravens. The Browns are one of the teams that have this kind of flexibility built in with that week 15 game. December 17th or 18th with a kickoff time to be determined. So if they're relevant there, they could face the Ravens in Cleveland in prime time. Same thing with the season finale at Pittsburgh, the week 18 game at Heinz Field, January 7th or 8th. So, yeah, only two primetime games on the schedule, but there's two spots right there in front of our eyes that can be added to the primetime slate, slate plus the ability to flex in a Sunday night. So to me what it says is the NFL doesn't know what to make of the Browns right now, even though it's a very talented roster. We've been saying that for a few years now, and we've seen up and downs. 
And even though they traded for Deshaun Watson March 18th and everybody thinks they upgrade the quarterback position, and on paper they certainly did, on the field they certainly did, the availability of Deshaun Watson hangs over this whole thing, right? We don't know for sure what the jointly appointed disciplinary officer, jointly appointed by the NFL and NFLPA, Sue Robinson, is going to determine, and when she's going to determine whatever she determines, you know? Um, is Deshaun Watson going to be suspended in 2022? Or will Sue Robinson prefer to wait until the civil lawsuits, 22 ongoing civil lawsuits that Deshaun Watson faces from allegations of sexual misconduct or sexual assault from 22 women, um, 24 total accusers, but 22 are suing. Is that going to put Sue Robinson in a holding pattern until there's resolution uh, in the judicial system? And if that's the case, we could be looking at 2023 because the attorneys for Watson and the plaintiffs have agreed to not have any trials between August 1st and March 1st, 2023. And I know I talked to the attorney for the plaintiffs, Tony Busby, and I've said this before on the podcast, he had hoped to get one of the accusers, Ashley Solis, trial in July before training camp. And from our colleague at USA Today, uh, Brent Schroederberger, I believe um, that most Browns fans are aware by now that he has kind of, you know, in his reporting recently uh, laid out the back and forth from the attorneys and why there is not likely to be any trial uh, in July the way Tony Busby uh, originally wanted it to be. So we're probably looking at 2023 unless these cases are settled. And when I asked Deshaun Watson, March 25th is at his introductory news conference, if he wanted to settle the lawsuits, he said that was not his intent because he wanted to clear his name as much as possible. So all that hangs over the schedule. We just, there's so much unknown. I mean, kind of one thing that I came up with was the schedule game is always kind of ridiculous because there's a hundred percent injury rate in football. Mm-hmm. You just don't know who's going to be available well, the potential Deshaun Watson suspension exacerbates kind of the silliness of the schedule game. Uh, you know, you're just such a different team uh, in terms of the Cleveland Browns if Deshaun Watson is your starting quarterback versus Jacoby Brissett, and it will be Jacoby Brissett if Deshaun Watson is unavailable. So that's kind of my big takeaway, Dan, the fact that I think – the NFL doesn't know what to make of the Browns, so give them only two primetime games. But if Deshaun Watson isn't suspended for a long time in 22 or not at all in 2022, and, you know, they kind of, you know, get themselves together, um, you know, despite some of the changes, uh, you know, personnel-wise, uh, first and foremost, the quarterback, and Kevin Stefanski figures out how to run an offense for Deshaun Watson, how to call plays for him and the Browns are rolling and relevant and contenders, then I think we can see them pick up some more primetime games. But I think that two primetime games out of the gate just says that the the NFL is in wait-and-see mode for all these reasons. 
Yeah, and I, I think they kind of safeguarded themselves a little bit in that regard with, like, you know, week 13, the, the game at Houston. The NFL always loves storylines baked into the schedule. And in having that game in week 13 rather than earlier in the season, they're kind of safeguarding against a situation where if Watson was suspended at the beginning of the season, obviously that sounds like it might not be the case, but, you know, we'll see. But that that kind of, you know, if he gets an eight-game suspension, say, or a six-game even, and he'll be back for that the rematch, the storyline built-in rematch in Houston, you know, the team he basically quit on. Um, that that's a that's an interesting one, and you know, at, at first I, I was very surprised by just the two primetime games thing, um, and then I I started looking around the rest of the schedule, what other people were writing about other teams. You know, I was helping our friends in Cincinnati with the Bengals release last night, and um, like twelve teams have the maximum amount of allowable primetime games, which is five, and that that can lead to six if a, if a game gets flexed. So with so many other teams kind of in the spotlight, like Cincinnati has five time five primetime games, say that five times fast, um, it's, it's tough to find a logical place to give the Browns more of these premier games. Um, I like compared to last year that the, the buy is in the middle of the season instead of late in the year. This week it's week nine, November 6th. And that plays into the Browns it, advantage a little bit. Um, what else kind of sticks out for me for the schedule? I don't know. I, I think you wrote about the whole thing. You have a nice big kind of breakdown of every storyline for every game over at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. It's, it's one of Nate's must-read things. Uh, that, that he does. And, you know, it, it's the, theoretically the front of the schedule is set up for a, a fast start for the Browns. So that, that could be good because the Browns perpetually start out slowly, particularly week one. This, this year it starts at Carolina and they're, they're terrible. Um, but then there's the there's the big Baker storyline that, that you know who knows how that's going to resolve itself. Um, I like that. I I think the Jets game week two is very interesting. They've done a lot of work, and then you have the Steelers week three. I think it it could be a fun start to the season for the Browns if if things go the right way. Yeah, I think that th- this sets up for the Browns to get off to a fast start, even if Deshaun Watson is suspended to begin the 2022 season. I, you know, Carolina and the Jets are are two of the three worst teams, at least going off last year, on the schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Panthers had five wins last year. The Jets had four wins. The only other team with five or fewer wins on the schedule is the Texans. So to face Carolina and, and the Jets back-to-back, that's a golden opportunity for the Browns. And if they want to be the team – that they think they can be live up live up to their expectations. Unlike last year when they went eight and nine, finished third in the AFC North, then they need to win those two games. 
You know, if it's Baker Mayfield, it's going to be like, you know, the most dramatic thing ever. But they still need to win that game. And they need to beat the Jets, who, yes, have improved on paper uh, with three first-round picks. And, you know, obviously Garrett Wilson being one of them, uh, the Ohio State receiver, so many Browns fans wanted before the Browns made the Watson trade and got rid of the 13th overall pick. So the Jets, I think, are a team that you can see being on the rise. I think the Browns kind of get a favor by getting the Jets so early before maybe Zach Wilson figures some things out. Uh, coming off his 3-10 and 10 record as a rookie starting quarterback last year. So I think that's key. And I looked up, Dan, like we know 121 in opener since 1999, 5-17-1 in home openers since 1999. But – I started thinking, well, when's the last time the Browns were 2-0? It's 1993. Wow. They haven't gone 2-0 since 1993. They actually won the first three games of the season that year. So that hasn't even happened in the expansion era. To me, man, week one has been so weird with the Browns. You can never never think that it's going to be a layup, even though they should be, uh, you know, the team that with, with the upper hand against the Panthers, like you said, not a good team in Carolina. Mm-hmm. But, geez, I mean, if you're ever going to exercise those early season demons, this is the time to do it, with or without Watson. So I agree with you. And then, you know, Pittsburgh uh, at home Thursday night. You know, I'm never going to say the Steelers are an easy out, I, I, even after the Ben Roethlisberger era. You know, Ben Roethlisberger wasn't the Big Ben that tormented the Browns for most of his career last season and even the season before. So, you know, we'll see if it's Kenny Pickett making his debut in that in the rivalry series or Mitch Trubisky, the, the mentor uh, you know, high school star from Northeast Ohio. Um, either way, that's a game the Browns can win. And then the Falcons, another one they can win. So, I mean, yeah, I think that they really don't get that measuring stick. I mean, not to disrespect the Panthers, Jets, Steelers, (laughs) and Falcons, but I think the Browns are the better team across the board there. When you get to week five, I think you you really start to find out who you are. And it's funny because last season in week five, I think the Browns started to find out who they were, and it was a – Shootout loss, 47-42 at SoFi Stadium in California to Justin Herbert and the L.A. Chargers. This year in Week 5, the Chargers are coming to Cleveland. So I find that pretty funny that kind of the who-you-are game pops up two years in a row for the Browns. Week 5, same opponent. And then after the Chargers, Patriots, Ravens, Bengals, and then their the bye that you talked about. I think that that's a, a heck of a stretch right there, those four. So after the softer four to begin the season, I think Chargers, Patriots, Ravens, Bengals is going to tell us a lot about whether the Browns are are real for, you know, 2022 or not. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. We will hold off on a ridiculous uh, record prediction, I think, for now. We've done it before. (laughs) But you can't, I can't do, I am boycotting it with the Watson stuff hanging over everyone's head. It's more ridiculous than ever. That's my point. So, yeah, yeah, we're holding off. Yeah. Um, Last thing for me on the schedule, and then we'll move on to the draft. 
no Christmas game, no Thanksgiving game. So hallelujah for that. Browns do have a game on New Year's Day, which as a college football fan, I don't like, to be honest with you. And they have a game on New Year's Eve, uh, 1 o'clock against the Saints at home. You mean Christmas Eve? Yeah, Christmas Eve, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Saturday, yep. So it it could be worse in terms of the layout of the, the games and the days they fall on, so... It is what it is, I guess. To me, um, what game, let's just say, as a, as a football fan, we're in the media, so we're not, you know, right. we're not in that realm per se, but just say you didn't have to work, Dan, which game would you want, which game would you want to go to? Any game, home or away, the to Char- watch football. Yeah, the, the Chargers game. I think they're, yeah. they're, they're so entertaining. Herbert is very, very good. They've improved their roster. And every year we always talk about, like, these AFC teams who aren't in the division but are kind of who the Browns are competing against. You know, it was the Colts a couple of years ago or last year, whenever, or the Raiders. I think the Chargers are one of those teams this year where if the Browns don't win the division – how they perform against a team like the Chargers is going to be important. And I think the same can be said for the game against the Dolphins. Number one, I would love to go down to Miami on November 13th. Uh, And number two, Nate, I am obsessed with just listening to Mike McDaniel, the Dolphins head coach. Anytime he has a press conference or media appearance, it's must-see. Uh, viewing for me because he's so weird and he says <laughs> just the way he talks the things he says I am highly entertained by Mike McDaniel he made the storylines former Browns wide receivers coach uh, when Kyle Shanahan was here in 2014 they one year and they were they had their uh, taste of Johnny Manziel experience and bounced so yeah. um Hey, I'm going to answer my own question here. Uh, yeah, the AFC North games are the most important, and, and then the other AFC games are more important than any NFC game when it comes to the, the playoff implications. We know we've been through this um, with the Browns getting good lately, or at least better than they had been. But to me, I am picking an NFC game. It's just sorry. I don't. I, I, I know he'll play till he's 70 and prove me wrong here, but I can't see Tom Brady playing the Browns again. And yeah. for Tom Brady to retire and then unretire, and for the Buccaneers to be coming to Cleveland on November 27th, I mean, that's the game I think I would circle because Good one. you're talking about the greatest of all time. Um, I know some autogram diehard historians uh, would try to mount an argument against that, but I'm not buying it. Um no disrespect to Otto Graham, but obviously it's a different game. It's a different, much different era, different sport. Tom Brady, um, you know, we've seen guys in our lifetime, Dan, like, you know, Michael Jordan. Um, and Tom Brady's, he's he's right there. He's comparable. As a kid growing up and being a Cavaliers fan, but also just, totally admiring Michael Jordan 
Uh, also having bitter feelings about how he <laughs> tormented some really good Cavaliers teams. One regret I have to this day is never actually seeing Michael Jordan play in person. Oh, man. So, and a matter of fact, when he was with the Wizards and I was like, you know, um, like a senior in high school, I want to say maybe freshman in college, but I went up to, at the time, Gund Arena to try to get, you know, the Cavs weren't good then. They weren't selling. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't selling out. And Jordan was, you know, not not prime Jordan. He was Wizards Jordan. But I wanted to try to get in there. So I went up with a buddy. And we, you know, whatever. We didn't have our act together completely. And we were a little late. And, yeah, they sold out uh, before tip. And so I never got to see Jordan. That was my last-ditch effort. So <laughs> I think of that when I think of Tom Brady coming to Cleveland here for what should be the last time. Although, if anyone would prove that statement wrong, it would be him. You know, quick quick thing about that, then we'll talk about draft. I was at that game, the Cavs-Wizards game, with Jordan there because I was the same way. I, I just wanted to see Jordan in person. And that season, like you said, the Cavs were bad. So I would get press passes via someone we worked with at the Beacon, uh, Mike Dyer, who would go and do, like, stats for for some website or CBS or God knows what. And he would get extra media passes, and we would go help him. And we went to – at least I'm remembering it this way in my head, so I'm choosing to believe it to be the truth. I believe we went to the Cleveland baseball game first, and then afterward we just basically went across the little promenade or whatever you want to call it into Gundarina to watch Michael Jordan, and it was awesome. Uh, one of the best sports days of my life, and it's, it's, there was just like a different, even though you're right, it was Wizards Jordan, not the same. It it just had a magical feel to it. So Tom Brady kind of has the same thing to me. So that's a great call at the Buccaneers game. Yeah, I and I'm jealous in that <laughs> story. But the difference is right now, until we see Tom Brady fall off, he's still at the top of his game. I mean, the guy played great last season. Yes. So that's going to be a hell of a challenge for the Browns, not to mention they're going to be coming off a road game against the Bills. So that's a little stretch right there. That's another kind of prove-it stretch. After the Week 9 bye at Miami, at Buffalo, and then Tampa and Brady come to Cleveland. Then you got the Deshaun Watson circus going to Houston. But they, they should they should roll the Texans. But um, but that three-game stretch right after the bye, some serious stuff for the Browns. So, yeah, it, it's interesting how – the schedule kind of starts off. I mean, you could see a 4-0 Browns team, and then, you know, it could even out here. And it's yeah. it's, it's not it's not going to get um, it's not going to get very easy after that that first quarter, I guess. Even though they're it's technically not even a quarter anymore because of 17 games. Right. So Browns draft real quick. Let's talk about that. Some. Yeah. Um. As we know, they didn't have a first-round pick because of the Sean Watson trade. They, they won't have a first-round pick for quite some time. They had a second-round pick. They traded back. They took Martin Emerson. They made nine picks in total. They added some extra capital this year. They added some extra draft capital next year. 
to me, Nate, this draft screamed of budget depth just from the standpoint of the Browns have so many big contracts up. I kind of think the the middle class of the Browns roster is going away in the next couple of years as they start paying these huge dollar deals. So getting a, a cheap depth draft class, I think was smart, but there's, there's nine guys here. Um, I just don't see nine of them making the roster to be honest with you. So going into rookie mini camp, which of these players do you think has to come out of the gates just just firing on all cylinders? Is there anybody that sticks out to you that's like this guy could be a guy that that needs to make a push here? Well, in terms of making the team, it's going to be your late round guys, you know, sixth, seventh round guys, Michael Woods, receiver out of Oklahoma, Isaiah Thomas, defensive end out of Oklahoma, and Dawson Deaton. O-lineman out of Texas Tech. You know, those are the guys going to be fighting for jobs. Um, I think everybody else is making the team, but I do think that there are some certain kind of first impressions to follow in this rookie minicamp. Now, Mm. we're only going to be out there as a media group today, which is Friday, and Mm. then Saturday and Sunday is going to be closed. So I'll be at Coach Pitch Softball and <laughs> birthday party at a pavilion, uh, which we rescheduled due to forecast considerations, and now it looks like it's going to thunderstorm anyway. So that's great. Anyhow, uh, that's where I'll be Saturday and Sunday when the Browns are wrapping up the mini camp. But I'll be there today, uh, this afternoon. And I think it's all about – I'm kind of going in with a little bit of a, a theme here. I think it's all about – the slot, like in terms of the slot on both sides of the ball. Like I look at this draft class and David Bell was a third round pick, uh, 99 overall, the third pick that the Browns made. But I think he has a chance to become an immediate contributor because the Browns really love him coming in uh, as their slot receiver. Now he can play on the outside too, but they they were not shy, Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Barry, about making it known over draft weekend that they really want to primarily let him get his feet wet in the NFL as a slot receiver and fill a lot of the Jarvis Landry roles, which, you know, Jarvis Landry, again, he got cut uh, in March. Cost-saving move. Uh, could he even come back? Yeah, there was mutual interest between the two. Uh, never say never, but... With drafting David Bell, who just, again, has that fit. I'm not saying he will become a five-time pro bowler like Jarvis Landry, but the Browns envision similar role. And so it, it definitely, to me, decreased the likelihood of a Jarvis Landry reunion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's very interesting that the Browns now have Amari Cooper and kind of a lot of unproven guys Uh, After that, they don't have that other, you know, proven veteran starter. Now, obviously, Jarvis is that. Um, You know, a Will Fuller who played uh, with Deshaun Watson in Houston and had some good productivity, although his availability through injuries through suspension has been an issue throughout his career. But they didn't bring him in. They haven't brought in a veteran receiver um, you know, with starting experience uh, and kind of a long track record 
it's really, you know, Amari Cooper. And then who's your number two? Well, on paper right now, it's Donovan Peoples-Jones. And then obviously the Browns still have high hopes for Anthony Schwartz, a third-round pick last year, who didn't do much, was was hindered by hamstring injuries, concussion. So I like Donovan Peoples-Jones. I've always been um, very bullish on his skill set, what he brings to the table. I think he took a step last year but was – definitely inconsistent and so that's got to improve uh i like him uh and i think he's certainly capable of becoming a a quality number two but that remains to be seen so that's what i'm talking about that it is very unproven after amari cooper and then you have david bell that they're counted on a lot so i think you know the browns know they they thoroughly scout these guys and evaluate these guys they they saw david bell in practices and at the combine, and you know, they talked to as many people as they could, including him. And you know, obviously, the pro day's a piece of it, and there are interviews with him. And we know he didn't have a fast forty time, but we know he was a consensus All American with through the roof production at Purdue. Um, so many things to like about him, but still, until you get your hands on him as a coaching staff, get him on your practice fields. I think there is just a little bit of unknown of how it's all going to shake out, how he's going to look um, in your system, doing exactly the things you want him to do and you're asking him to do. So I think that it's an important mini camp to kind of see where David Bell is, and I think that has that will go a long way in kind of affecting the Browns' thinking about how they feel about the receiving core right now because there are so many unproven players at this level. So. I think if David Bell comes in, hits the ground running, looks like everything Kevin Stefanski, um, you know, wants him to be at this stage because Kevin Stefanski is extremely high on this guy. I think he was the the, the pound the table guy for David Bell. Mm. Uh, if all that happens, then I could see him rolling really young here, like they are right now, and not going on a fishing expedition for one of these veteran wide receivers. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right on. I, I really like that pick. It was my favorite pick the Browns made on in the draft as a whole. Again, they took nine players during Martin Emerson, third round, 68th overall. It's going to be interesting to see what the Browns do with him, Nate, I think. I mean, we've, we've kind of seen a trend in the NFL lately where slot receivers are getting bigger. I can see Martin Emerson He's a bigger guy. Some think he has safety size. I could see him being their slot cornerback. That that's the other part of my slot theme. It's Marvin Ever Emerson, and like the Browns view him coming in primarily as an outside corner, mm-hmm. which is interesting because the day after they picked him, they traded their slot corner right. Troy Hill back to the Rams, where he had played previously. So I feel like the Browns have left themselves pretty thin at slot corner. Like, yes, we know that Greg Newsom slid from outside to inside last year and filled that nickelback role at times, but that was because Troy Hill was hurt or had COVID. He missed some time. Uh, so, you know, do you want Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom to start on the outside? Yes, but it. <laughs> It's asking a lot for Greg Newsom to slide on the inside when you go nickel, and you're going to go nickel a lot. Um, 
and then and then you bring in somebody else on the outside uh, as Newsom slides to the slot. So who is that third corner who would come in on the outside? That's the competition between your third-round draft pick you just mentioned, Martin Emerson Jr., uh, Greedy Williams, and A.J. Green. Those three guys are the ones that jump to the, the forefront of the competition on the outside. But I think that this rookie minicamp, going back to that slot theme, Mm-hmm. is interesting because the Joe Woods, I mean, he's the defensive coordinator and but Joe Woods is a his background is a defensive backs coach. So he's always keeping an, a a little bit longer of an eye on the DBs and Jeff Howard is his DBs coach here. And I think that they love to cross train these corners outside inside as much as they can and so I would not be surprised if they do try to see uh, how Martin Emerson Jr. looks in that role. Now, Martin Emerson, I asked him during the draft. I also did some follow-ups with a few of his coaches from college, including um, two of the guys who were former NFL uh, defensive backs, um, Darcel McBath and, and Terrell Buckley. Uh, Buckley is a is a pretty big NFL name because he played in the league for 14 seasons, won a Super Bowl, of course had a a coaching stint uh, with cornerbacks at at the great University of Akron, uh, firing up uh, Zips guru Dan Kadar. But um, those guys spoke highly of Emerson's ability to play in the slot if called upon, even though Emerson really hasn't played in the slot in a game since high school. He was really an outside corner at Mississippi State. He practiced some in the slot just in case there was an injury that popped up he was kind of the emergency fill-in guy uh, but it never reached that point and he really was on the outside in games so I will be interested to see to what extent the Browns experiment with him uh, maybe I won't get to see that at all today but if they do experiment with him on the field in the slot in this rookie minicamp it might give them an idea of how far they want to go with that experiment, you know, as OTAs uh, roll out here in the spring and the mandatory mini camp in mid June. And then of course, training camp starting in late July, like how far down the road do you want to go cross training this guy? Can he handle it? Um, you know, not just from a physical standpoint, but from a mental standpoint and his coaches rave about his football IQ but any time you're a rookie coming in, you're getting so much thrown at you. It's a whole different ball game with the playbook, the terminology, everything that the coaches are asking of you. And so I think that, um, you know, kind of as a student and as an on-field athlete, the the coaching staff is going to probably gauge uh, the extent to which it wants to see whether Martin Emerson could fill that slot role. Yeah, well said. Anything else this week before we check out of here so you can get on the road? Um, just the fact that I think that, you know, in terms of immediate impact in this draft class, you know, it, Martin Emerson becomes the third corner. I mean, he'll make an immediate impact. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could see him and, and defensive end Alex Wright, the, the, the second pick uh, of the Browns, the, the, the 78th overall selection in the third round, the the UAB edge rusher, I could see both those guys being, like you said, um, you know, 
developmental depth guys to begin their careers. But I do think in terms of immediate impact, the guys that are the safest bets out of this draft class actually came in David Bell and then the two fourth round picks, Cade York, the kicker. They cut the rest of the kickers, you know, <laughs> Chase McLaughlin. And the other kicker they had a, the day after they picked uh, Cade York, it's his job. And they picked him in the fourth round. When you pick a kicker in the fourth round, that's a big statement. And they believe in him. So why even mess around with having other guys in the building? They're not. So obviously that's a huge uh, draft selection for the Browns, considering they've been looking for that long-term solution at kicker since Phil Dawson left way back after the 2012 season. And then Perry and Winfrey. I mean, the defensive tackle room is wide open for starting jobs. And so he's the fourth-round pick from Oklahoma, number 108 overall. Dan, I got to imagine with, you know, you having some interest in pro wrestling that you thought if Perry and Winfrey does not pan out as a defensive lineman in the NFL, Vince McMahon is going to swoop him up right away after hearing his Zoom call on draft weekend with Browns Media. But I think he can play, so it's going to be interesting to see um, because, you know, he's got to develop probably in the run game, uh, but he's got that that length and that speed and burst um, that I think the Browns really covet in a three-technique defensive tackle. He can be that pocket disruptor that way, and um, I think they're probably going to look to to get him to be a a better all-around defensive tackle, but... He does kind of come in with some of that, you know, raw ability to to provide some pass rush up the middle. So I think he's got a real chance to to definitely be in the starting mix. Yeah. If nothing else, he's going to be a great hype man. The guy can cut a promo uh, like no other that I've heard in a long time. So it's going to be interesting. They'll have full coverage of Brown's rookie mini camp over at BeaconJournal.com slash sports slash Brown's. There's also a ton of really great uh, features on these players that are Nate and the rest of our staff, Marlon Wright and Howard George Thomas, have been doing after the draft. Some really good stuff. Like Nate said, he has the deep dive on Martin Emerson. Um, George Thomas has a really good one. There, there's some interesting characters in, the, in this mix, and we'll kind of see how it all plays out. So make sure you're following along on our site, beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. Make sure you're following Nate on Twitter. He's at by Nate Ulrich. That's going to do it for our podcast this week. Don't forget to check out USA Today Sports Plus on the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. Thank you very much for listening. And we will talk to you next time.